Welcome to the clinical podcast series brought to you by the American Academy of Optometry Foundation. The topic for this episode is the functional burden of diabetic retinopathy in the United States. I'd like to thank our host, Dr. Mila Bruchik, our topical expert, Dr. Greg Wolf, and our topical editor, Dr. Katherine Hogan. Dr. Bruchik, take it away. Hello, everybody. I'm joined with Dr. Greg Wolf, and we're going to be talking today about the functional burden of diabetic retinopathy in the United States, a remarkable overview paper. And, you know, Greg, you're one of the experts in the field. I don't think there's a better person to talk to about this. Why is this topic so important to ODs? Well, thank you, Mila. Uh, well, diabetic retinopathy is something that we deal with day in and day out. It's one of those things that uh, we write in our assessment plans almost daily with most of our patients. And we all know that diabetic retinopathy is one of the leading causes of visual impairment worldwide. Uh, worldwide, it's really cataracts and refractive error that's really preventable or correctable, I should say. Uh, but diabetic retinopathy is the leading cause of visual impairment here in the United States. And really, it goes beyond the effect of visual impairment. Uh, it really affects the quality of life of our patients day in and day out. So this study looked at not only the effect of diabetic retinopathy, but what is that effect on specifically physical function? Yeah. And we're all familiar with the effect of visual impairment, but this study really specifically looked at physical activity or physical disability and uh, when they're controlling for all other factors. So that, that's the interesting thing, Greg, and that's what I really want to kind of pick your brain on a little bit more. What are those key findings in this article that can like help us on a day-to-day -day basis in clinical practice? Because we are, you're, you're spot on. We're seeing this more and more of our patients are coming in as either pre-diabetic or classified as true diabetics. And we, we're talking more about management of this. So, so how can we take these findings and apply them clinically and how can they help us in our offices? Well, this study really showed an independent association with the not only the diagnosis of diabetes, but of any level of diabetic retinopathy with increasing physical difficulty. And that increase in physical difficulty also paralleled an increase in the severity of that diabetic retinopathy. And those correlations still held true and accounted for other health factors. But this study also looked at the sociodemographic predictors of physical difficulty with diabetic retinopathy and identified really three or four key points. And that was if you were one to two times below the federal poverty level, or if you had three or more medical comorbidities, and we all realize our patients with diabetic diabetes have several comorbidities. Diabetes isn't in isolation. Hypertension, arthritis are one of the most common uh, medical comorbidities, uh, but also depression those who were depressed had an increasing difficulty with their physical ability. And of course, the fourth was decreased VA, which we would be very, very well attuned to. But what was interesting, things like age, ethnicity, and level of education really didn't correlate that well with physical uh, difficulty. But age, ethnicity, and level of education have strong correlations with diagnosis of diabetes and level of diabetic retinopathy. So really we can extrapolate from that, that the effects of diabetes and the effects of diabetic retinopathy uh, really don't discriminate. Once you get diagnosed with diabetes, 
or diabetic retinopathy, uh, those effects, they don't discriminate. So Greg, you bring up some great points here. And whenever we look at the scientific research in the literature, there's, there's several things that, that we kind of know and might influence the way that we practice clinically, but there, are there anything or any messages from the paper that you feel you could share with your, your patients? Uh, the big thing is to be, not only be in tune with the early detection and the early diagnosis of diabetes or diabetic retinopathy, but actually the prevention of diabetes itself. Um, we can rehabilitate that person once they have a visual impairment from diabetic retinopathy. But the key point is not to get that visual impairment in the first place. And really, we have a role to play in primary prevention, which is a role that opto as optometrists, we're becoming more and more comfortable with. Uh, but it really is key that we have that role as to play a supportive role with our primary care colleagues in medicine, actually to prevent diabetes. And there are some core things we can take away, specifically from the DPP, the Diabetes Prevention Program. And they found that if we counsel our patients to exercise five times a day for at least 30 minutes, and that's just moderate exercise. We're not talking about going to the gym and puffing on a Stairmaster. We're just talking about taking a walk around their own neighborhood for 30 minutes after a meal. Losing body weight, and a lot of times our obese patients, or our severely overweight patients, see that as a, an unachievable goal. But the Diabetes Prevention Program showed that only 5 to 7% of decrease in overall body weight showed a significant effect. And how do we go about losing that weight besides exercise? Well, that's calorie restriction. And again, you think that's an insurmountable goal. But if we just reduce our calorie intake by 250 calories a day, over a two-week period, we'll lose a pound of weight. So that reduces our risk of contracting or developing, I should say, uh, type 2 diabetes by over six, for almost 60%, I should say. So these are some key messages that, that really we can play in a primary prevention role. Greg, I, I, I think to interrupt you just really quickly here, I think you bring up some great points. And I think we sometimes tend to overcomplicate things. And right. just, that, just that key point, just a slight calorie restriction and how you actually equated it to real weight loss over a given period of time is beautiful. There's apps that now help with that too. My Fitness Pal, for example, yeah. allows you to track things you eat and allows you to compensate for that. So, so there are little changes that it sounds like make massive implications to how optometry even helps play a role in the bigger healthcare community. I, I love that app, My Fitness Pal. I'm so glad you brought that up. It's free, it's accessible. It's very easy to use. Um, but also we need to be aware of, so we talked about preventing the diabetes. Now let's look at our patients who have diabetic retinopathy and have that visual impairment. For too long, we've had a unilateral directional model in visual rehabilitation. That we see that patient with diabetic retinopathy, we treat that diabetic retinopathy to the extent that we can. And now our patients are left with a visual impairment. And then we refer them on to low vision, vision rehabilitation. But the recent report by the National Academy of Science, Engineering, and Medicine showed that we really need to get away from that unidirectional approach to more of a bidirectional approach, where we're working in concert with our colleagues in visual rehabilitation to address visual impairment early on. Because the key point is, decrease in quality of life is associated with visual impairment and an acuity of just 2030. And for many of us, we think 2030 is an achievement. Oh, wow, we've got that patient down to 2030. But even 2030 shows a decrease in quality of life. 
And that's proven in the literature by our colleagues across the pond. One of the great benefits of having a nationalized healthcare system is they have a huge set of databases. And that database showed from the UK Biobank study from that 2030 decrease in vision with the effect of quality of life. So interesting, Greg, you've, you've given us a, a real unique perspective on this. Again, it's kind of like we were reactionary to this condition in particular when we're thinking about the eyes. And I remember when I graduated, we thought about it differently. We're now much more proactive in the way we communicate because of a lot of the things that you've said. Greg, any, any final thoughts before we close out here? Just don't overlook that patient with 2030 vision and play a supporting role in primary prevention. That, that's, I think, are our two big key takeaways. Well, Dr. Greg Wolf, thank you for being on the show today. This was absolutely fantastic. And I know we're excited uh, when we get a chance to communicate with you again. Appreciate your time. Thank you and a special thanks to Cooper Vision for their educational grant to make it all happen.